You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Inflation, recession, stagflation. Just what the hell is going on? Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to another Real Vision podcast. So, what the hell is going on? We all want to know. Here at Real Vision, we've debuted a special series called Global Recession Is Everyone Wrong? We've called on the world's best experts, including Juliette DeClerc, David Rosenberg, Peter Zihan, Pierre Anderan, and many more, to try and help us make sense of things. These real experts will be giving Real Vision members in depth, long form analysis on the real stuff that's happening. And best of all, you can get access to all 14 days of Global Recession Is Everyone Wrong for just $1. Yep, $1. So head over to realvision.com slash global recession. That's realvision.com slash global recession to join us on this epic two-week journey of discovery. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Friday, May 13th, 2022. I'm Warren Pies, founder and strategist at 314 Research. I'm joined today by Tony Greer. How are you doing, Tony? Friday the 13th. Warren Eskimo Pies, I'm happy to be here, man. It's good to do the briefing on a Friday so we can sort of encapsulate the week's action, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, looking forward to getting your thoughts. I haven't spoken for a few weeks. So, you know, today was kind of, uh, you know, a somewhat of a bounce for the markets. Uh, we saw yields come go up uh, today, but on the week down, sectors, kind of the most beaten up sectors leading the way today, tech and consumer discretionary, uh, uh, the leaders. Um, when I zoom out, just before I get your take on market action, when I zoom out, I see from the beginning of April to yesterday's close, about a 15% drawdown in the S&P 500, and obviously there are pockets where it was much worse. So it's been persistent downward pressure. One day does not a rally make, but it is always a question of whether this will be the beginning of a trend change, if we've gotten enough uh, pain discounted in the prices. So what do you see? What is what You mentioned yields to me. If you want to start there or wherever you want to go, what did you see this week? Yeah, I guess, Warren, the outstanding factor this week is that we got, you know, fresh CPI data, right? We got more daisy cutters and inflation on the tape. You know, we're at 8.3% year-over-year CPI, 11% year-over-year PPI. And with that, we had a potential reversal in the Treasury market this week, which, as you know, has been trading offered only. So with yields potentially, you know, carving a high and, you know, looks like they may have a sort of outside reversal, if not a reversal week, it looks like they may trend lower. And, you know, maybe that's the move that you'd expect in, um, you know, after another big CPI number where the sort of treasury market would be a buy the rally, sell the fact kind of thing. Um, But I still see signs of the great rotation as this market, you know, technology weighs on the tape because it's a bigger proportion of the S&P than the energy markets and the commodity markets. And this week, we've pretty much got a sell-off, you know, across the board in pretty much every sector of the S&P. So it's a blood red week where there's no escape. This week, we happen to have a big pullback in metals. We had a small pullback in energy of 5%, big pullback in uh, metals of 10% in GDX. 
Um, but we also had that weakness in technology that's persisted. Those just happen to be the sectors that are sort of short covering into the close today. But when I look at the S&P on a sort of weekly basis, it hasn't done anything to show me that it's reversal mode yet. Um, even though sentiment, I would say, is a little bit negative on the downside, uh, it still doesn't seem like we found a bottom yet. I feel like there could be more selling due to more inflation and, and still potentially higher yields down the road. Yeah, that all makes sense. And I mean, uh, what we did for clients, just to give you how we're viewing things, is we laid out kind of a 10 factor checklist that we're looking for uh, to get crossed off, or at least some of these things need to get crossed off before we could recommend getting back into the market. So chart that we saw like a, close to enough damage or, or bearish sentiment to, to get us interested uh, here, at least have the discussion is what we call our dumb money indicator. We're looking at the percentage of ETF volume made up by inverse ETF flow. So we kind of call this, it's a retail type of trade. We want it to hit 60%. And honestly, going back to like 2010, when these things kind of came into the, um, into the market structure, uh, you know, there's always been a, a big rally in the year following this number hitting 60%. We're at 57%. So we're within a whisker of that uh, number. So not quite there yet. And that's kind of the story that I see is that we're just not quite there yet across the board on any of the things we're looking at, but we've seen progress. This seemed like a week in the last couple of weeks taken together where there's been real kind of a sentiment change and we're moving away from just a run of the mill correction and people are starting to panic a little bit, which is what you need to be at if you're going to get a, a tradable bottom. You see a, a similar kind of thing? Yeah, you know, we could be getting close. We've gotten that cluster of tick index extremes that I was kind of looking for prior to the, you know, the, the damage of carbon low this week. You know, we finally got a cluster of tick extremes bigger than minus 1500 on the downside. We got it punctuated by nearly a 2000 negative 2000 tick extreme on the downside on Monday. So yeah, it looked like there was some selling that was definitely exhausted and gotten out of the way this week for sure. Um, you know, I just I'm not willing to make a bet yet that the upside is really worth chasing here, even though we know that bear market rallies are, are, are generally pretty significant. I'm kind of comfortable the way my book is positioned here, Warren. I don't feel like I need to make too many adjustments either way. And the reason that I say that is because, as you know, I'm, I'm a, a you know, clocker and a hunter of the great rotation trades, as I've been calling it, where natural resources outperform technology. And when you sort of clear the smoke out this week, it was another advance of about 1% of the BCOM over the triple Q. And that's sort of the rotation that's key for me under the hood for that to be continuing, no matter what goes on in the broader market. That's helped me sticking to my guns on that on that trade. Yeah, I, tell you, I mean, you've killed it uh, on that trade and it's been fun to talk to you about and watch it happen. Um, you know, I, I've I ran into a few people on Twitter, social media and a few clients um, asking questions about I think it's you're starting to see kind of a just a maybe. And I think I think it's premature the early stages of a reversal of this negative correlation between the oil and the markets. And so the idea is that, you know, we'll have weakening economic demand and that's going to flow through into oil. Right. And that so we'll get um, if we were to get uh oil down lower, you know, it'd be because of a, an economic weakness or whatever, and that this is kind of what we need to, to look for. I think it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what's happening, though. I think that oil is moving because of supply constraints. It's not going to be responsive to the demand side this time around. And so, you know, uh, my honest feeling is that that oil and energy actually keeps moving to, in the opposite direction 
of the broader market. And so it, you don't, maybe that correlation, the, the intensity starts to dissipate a little bit, but overall, I don't see the dynamic because we're really dealing with supply issues over uh, out of Russia, Ukraine that are that are driving the, the ship right now across oil and energy and also the kind of broader commodity complex. I couldn't agree more, Warren. I've been I've been trying to uh, take my clients to task that are pushing back on my idea that the inflation trade or sort of commodity inflation trade is still in motion. Um, you know, they push back with a lot of ideas that are along the lines of what about the demand destruction of stagflation? And while I can't really argue with that side of it, I can argue the supply side, like you say, and say, you know, what's going to put oil or natural gas genie back in their bottle? Because right now the diesel market is so tight and they're, and so spare that there, there just is none. Um, the, there's no elastic demand just yet. Everybody is still buying, you know, cargoes of jet fuel, everything that they need to, um, you know, whatever energy source that they need. So I don't know, you know, this, if the supply doesn't loosen up, the price isn't going to give in. And so that's why my argument is still along the lines of even if we do have, you know, this economic setback in demand, I don't know that the markets are going to allow for a pullback on that at all, because I don't see how the supply is going to show up and satisfy the buyers. And, you know, maybe there'll be a small pullback, but it still leads to the energy markets being higher for longer. And this week was a perfect example. We got another bounce off of that six and a half level in natural gas back up to eight dollars and then sort of settled at 765. But, you know, with the with the attack that continues to rear its head on supply, like, you know, this week they canceled more leases in Alaska on federal land. So that's, you know, kicking the can for an oil recovery down the road significantly. And I think that's going to be the driving story once we shake out this CPI week. Yeah, and the, exactly what you're describing is really creating, a, I think, a confusing signals across the market. And so a couple charts, I think, that, that show some of the confusion that's out there that if you're looking at just typical factors and trying to understand market stress, that the energy strength and oil and commodity strength are actually kind of tricking people, I think. So the first chart I would have Brian pull up is the spread between the um, high yield bond index and uh, high yield bond X energy. Um, that's the next one. There you go. And so that on that chart, what we've seen is like energy is overrepresented in the high yield index. And so over the last, you know, 10 years, eight years since really the 2014 collapse forward, you've seen energy push uh, high yield credit spreads higher as a bigger influence. And so our calculation is that typically energy adds about 32 excess basis points to the high yield spread over treasuries. And today, we're at a, a discount because of energy, because energy is trading so good and the outlook for oil and, and producers is so good. And so we're actually not seeing the stress you would typically see in the high yield uh, credit spread space. And so I think it's making it's maybe tricking people into a false sense of security that the real economy is stronger than it really is. But it's actually energy strength. And you can see this one other chart. Uh, when we look at high yield credit spreads versus investment grade credit spreads. And so typically these, this is the scatter plot in here. And typically these two series trade in a pretty tight linear correlation. And what we've seen is a lot more stress in the investment grade space. And so I think that should be worrisome as you saw kind of a negative GDP print a few weeks back for Q1. And obviously recession probability has gone up. 
and you and I have talked about the the chances for stagflation rising. I think that this is a stagflationary signal because investment grade, it doesn't have many of the commodity producers or energy producers. You're looking at more of the core of the consumer economy, finance plus consumer stocks, and those spreads are starting to really show trouble already. So I, I think that um, you know when you kind of dig under the surface, the cross currents of oil and energy are uh, are kind of obscuring some of these messages and making it a difficult market for generalists to read. Hey everyone, we're gonna take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of today's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. The uh, that kind of gives a, brings up the point for today's clip, which is our what's the chances of a soft landing? And I think that. That's an ongoing debate. If you're going to get bullish at these levels, like we talked about, you're probably betting on a soft landing of some kind. But let's see what uh, what Alex Gurvich had to say when he sat down with uh, Raul Paul to talk about his outlook. I think this is potentially the largest monetary tightening in all history. It is. How are you thinking? It is very strong. And then, so I got, I was talking to, I was interviewing David Rosenberg a few weeks ago and I got a lot of good feedback from this. And generally I'm somewhat aligned with him on I tend to be at least partially aligned with him. Not always perfectly, but we tend to think a lot similar. I followed him for years. And he's kind of giving it he thinks recession and that was before the negative print on Q1 GDP and he thought recessions was imminent. But he was giving I think like a 20% chance of soft landing. And honestly I see next to zero chance of soft landing. Yeah, I don't see components that allow that. If we take into account what's happening in China and Europe as well, the probability of a soft landing has got to be uh, close to zero now. Well, I'm thinking, you know, paradoxically, I think that there is almost like a binary outcome. And the reason is because Fed took such an inflation-fighting stand, which is also, with a caveat, some people think that Fed is way behind the curve, right? And some people think that Fed is still blowing bubbles because they're not raising rates at 200 basis points per meeting, right? Um, I kind of think that is somewhat ridiculous view, but uh, I have been ridiculously wrong in the past before myself. So there you have it. Um, Gurevich calling for basically a zero chance of a soft landing. Uh, Tony, what's your thoughts? You think we can the, the Fed can pull a rabbit out of its hat and uh, navigate a, a soft landing here? No, since Alex and I were on a panel um, at Real Vision in Del Mar together, I decided to fade everything that Alex says. No, because that's what he did to me after I gave my market view at our Real Vision presentation in Del Mar. I gave my whole worldview right there, and Alex came out right after me and said, yeah, I'll take the other side of pretty much everything Tony just said. So, no, I, do, I don't get caught up, as you guys know, in the um, economic prognostication because I'm not a uh, biologist or an economist. So... You know, I don't really know where we're heading towards recession, not recession. I like to let the bond market kind of guide me and then I get to react. So, 
you know, I think he probably makes uh, a fair point as it seems like the Fed's got a really difficult job right now. I just don't ever get terminally bearish on the U.S. economy. There always seems like there's some sector of the economy that's like really on fire, that's kind of holding it over somehow. And I hate betting on a recession happening anyway. So I'm playing this one down the middle, Warren. Yeah, I hear you. Um, it's it's kind of uh, you can go in circles around that stuff for sure. So we try to be as quantifiable as possible track our our calls and uh be transparent as well so but i still of course i'm a i'm a market junkie so i get interested in that stuff um i guess a question before we get into the the viewer questions i have for you is that we have probably since the last time we spoke it shed you know 500 points off the s p 500 um i have some ideas we've been laying out for clients and how you get market exposure when the time comes is there what are your favorite trades just to recap i know you've been looking for the great rotation is there anything specific within that or anything else that you're seeing that's popping off your your screen yeah you know i'm, I'm going to take this opportunity to um you know i really like the risk reward that's presenting itself in some of the natural resources sectors that have pulled back so the trades that i'm looking at right now are sort of for example xme um, you know, got beaten up pretty good this week. It looks like it was off about uh, 8% by the time the week has been over. Big drawdown there, right into technical support, though, right into the moving average support levels where at least I think the risk reward is okay, right? Everybody's gotten terminally bearish copper in this sort of, you know, 800 point, $800 down move on the LME from 10,000 to 9,200. I see a really sturdy range bottom at 8,800, and that's my sort of Mason-Dixon line for copper. So if I can, if it's okay, I can get copper on this dip because just as copper never broke out on the upside through 10K, I feel like it's not going to really break down much on the downside below 9K and stay in this range. So with my idea that that's going to be the case, with my idea that I want to buy aluminum on this huge pullback from the highs that it's seeing to keep you know, along that line of having metals and natural resources exposure, XME just lands in my lap as a risk manager, Warren. You know, it's one of those um, swings that you can't afford not to take when you can try to, you know, make five to risk one. And so with that kind of risk reward, I'm looking there and I'm still really clocking the natural gas um, trade pretty hard because there's still going to be a, a serious demand issue and supply issue over the winter. So, you know, the, the DSGAN spread is still really blown out in natural gas or that that part of the curve. And, you know, so I'm kind of looking at trying to pick off some of the natural gas producers on a dip, you know, as they pull back into support. So that's it. You know, I'm sticking to my knitting. I'm looking to buy natural resources on the dip, um, maintaining my shorts in the sort of uh, interest rate sensitive areas of the market, like home builders and retail and uh, tech. And, you know, so far, I haven't really moved my feet on that type of positioning. Yeah, all that makes sense, um, especially as a trend follower. I think that the taking a shot at industrial metals with if you have a long enough time horizon, it's hard to see how that doesn't work out for you if you buy it right. Um, for our clients, what we're starting to outline is kind of a, a portfolio approach. And obviously, we're a little more quantitative in, in broad basket approach, but we're looking at quality stocks that we want to pair with energy. So energy typically doesn't make it into a quality screen. And so we're screening out the, the S&P 500. That's kind of the core of our, uh, what we call our full cycle trend system at 314. And I, so you want to, you have to manually plug your energy and pressure your in industrial, uh, 
metals and commodity producers into that strategy. And we're looking at a period like 2000 to 2005. I don't think it's a perfect analog, but it's it's similar to what's happening. So we had the the end of the last tech bubble and then the beginning of the, the next secular, last secular bull market in commodities. <coughs> and this kind of a strategy, I mean, S&P 500 was, was negative from 2000 to 05, whereas this strategy, you know, it did pretty well, double digit returns annually. This is the kind of thing we're looking at. So, you know, this is this is how we're advising our clients. Um, so um, the one thing you did say, which we aren't finished with our work, but I'm if, if you, I don't know, I would love to hear your thoughts on the bond market, because I think if you're if you think that yields have topped here, what do you buy? In my mind, we haven't officially made this recommendation, but I've said it to some clients is we're looking at home builders. I think that the the actual actually when you go out there, you can either buy tech junk or home builders that are pretty cheap with, uh, I think, uh, structurally tight housing market in the United States. So if I was, if I, if you told me for sure rates are going to be lower in the next six, 12 months, that's the, the, the play that I would pile into. What do you, what do you think? I know you're shorting them, you said. Yeah, but you know, I'm, I'm, that's the one that I am, um, I'm probably the most cautious about the short or sort of, I keep my stop really, really tight to the markets because I don't want to get that burned on a turn. Um, the reason that I can, um, you know, maybe see your point in home builders because they were they were the sector that kind of nose dove first, you know, as rates really got out of the gate. It was home builders down first, even before technology started getting beat up. So as they've gone down first, they've sort of consolidated quite a bit as yields have, uh, you know, sort of found this potential reversal pattern. So if, you know, as we say, if this outside reversal week in yields does play out and it certainly looks like that setup is perfect in the 30 year, we could see yields pulled back. And, yeah, that would cause a short cover and rally. What's good about your idea in home builders now, Warren, is that a very, very shallow short covering rally only would start pressing it up through moving averages and probably start some short covering there. So you'd have that wind at your sales. Yeah, that's. I'm glad to hear you're you're kind of on the same page. Uh, that's when we what we do is we do kind of like a factor analysis of home builders, and they've become a pure interest rate trade at this point in time is what it looks like. So the market, I think it's a fundamentally strong market uh, in the United States. I think we're undersupplied since the 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 financial crisis, and so the market's kind of forgetting the fundamentals and just moving it on a macro rates trade right now. So I think if you spot me rates, that we're going to be good to go there. Um, yes, man. Anyways, let's move on to some, a uh, lot of people want to get your thoughts um, specifically on gold. Uh, we're getting a sell-off here. What's the, uh, what are the chances of a rally? Uh, you, look, you're talking to a guy that just got burnt again, being long gold for you know inflationary reasons. Um, I have a really bad taste in my mouth about gold um, and because I hate losing money. And when I look at my line item P&L in 2022 so far, uh, gold is at the bottom of it, right? With a negative number where I can't get, I can't get it right. Playing it from the long side has been painful for me. I've tried gold and gold stocks, but enough about me. Gold is a shit inflation hedge, right? Let's just say that right now. It didn't really soar when inflation was ticking to its highs. We've got inflation ticking at its highs, and we've really got no outlet for the inflation to come back down. Right. Because the Fed is behind on rates and we've still got tight commodity markets and gold is getting pummeled, utterly pummeled. So my my view on gold is that you should probably leave it as the currency hedge locked up in your vault where it belongs and probably not on your trading pad. 
Um, you know, if you've managed to fade all of the moves that you've seen in gold, both when it rallies on inflation and sells off on, um, you know, I guess a bit of stagflation story in the markets now, um, you're a genius and you should keep doing what you're doing. Gold for me has gone back to being something that I want in my safe so that I can sleep at night in case my currency implodes and nothing else, Warren. It's really just, it's, you know, really disappointing that there was no follow through on the upside there. And this collapse has been just a price action disaster. Yeah, unfortunately, I've been kind of in a similar boat. Like we were watching that 1950 level. It was trading between 1950 and 1680 for a long time. Breakout on the the Russia invasion of Ukraine, and you expect it to to. We had some closes over 1950. The next level would be make a new all time high, and it's kind of it kind of petered out. Now the only thing I could say is that we've seen such dollar strength. It's kind of unreasonable to expect gold to really catch a, a huge rally when the dollar has been just like on fire like it has and so you know we did some analysis that actually gold's been pretty strong when you account for how what the, what's gone on with the dollar so maybe if we get a break in what in the dollar rally you can see gold start to you know resume its move above 1950 and then challenge the all-time highs i don't think it's going to challenge anything man last year we saw the dollar rally five percent and the bloomberg commodities index was up 30 percent where was gold? Nowhere. Right. Yep. So, I mean, the dollar is a fair argument. I hear you. But the rest of the commodity complex is unfazed. The rest of the metals complex has largely been unfazed throughout this whole secular rally. Gold to me, man, you know, you're looking for trouble if you're wading into that as a trading uh, vehicle right now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tricky one for sure. But with your point is a good one that we've had dollar strength in commodities certain commodities are strong anyways and i've always kind of pushed back against the idea that the dollar and oil is really dictating oil oil trades way more off supply and demand but the fact that oil is higher and this leads to another question that we're getting here the fact that oil is higher right now with chinese lockdowns and dollar strength i mean I think if if you're a generalist you're looking at this last week for oil and it's been kind of in a, a range or flat but the truth is, under the surface, there's been a massive battle between, you know, supply outages, demand outages, currency moves that are crazy off the charts, and we're still hanging in there. I think this is a really bullish um, type of week for oil, actually. What do you think? Yeah, to that point, Warren, I think it's really important to follow what's going on in the crack spreads, right? Which is uh, if you follow the three, two, one crack spread where, you know, the, the refiner takes in three barrels of oil and spits out two barrels of gasoline and one barrel of diesel, right? That spread is blown out from about $10 to $50. And I think that's, you know, probably the big driver behind the strength in the market. The calendar spreads in crude are very sort of range bound, but holding their backwardated levels. Um, but what's just amazing is that you've got flat price taken off to 110 and a half because the product inventories continue to draw. So there's nowhere to go to get the products, but to start off at the head of the spear buying WTI and cracking it. And that's why you're seeing the refiners go on a run through their old highs like this rally just got started. And it may have because it looks better for the refiners now. You know, they look there's the situation is better for the refiners now than it was six months ago at 50 percent of the price where they are now. So we're at a really, really, you know, huge inflection point where the refiners can just continue rallying from here just because of the tightness and the lack of supply in the products market. So it's really, really hairy situation. I think that that alone um, is going to drive crude oil to a very, very shocking price 
on the upside in the near future. Yeah, and if you think about Gulf Coast refiners, they're producing more like a two one one crack spread. So they're like fifty percent diesel. So even more money, given that the fact or middle distillates, I should say, to be more accurate. So they're making even more money down on the Gulf Coast, where we have so many <laughs> independent refiners like Valero and Phillips, um, and Marathon has some places, some facilities there too. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think uh, refiners are in, are in good shape for sure. I mean, crack crack spreads are, are crazy high. I like the integrateds um, also because I think there's going to be just an uplift across the board, whether you're talking about crew or refined product. Uh, there's a lot of, there's some room for that spread to narrow, I think. And so, you know, you kind of want to, the integrateds are back in the driver's seat right now. Um, but it's you can almost throw a dart in the energy space, I think, at the moment, to be honest. Um, We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Kind of out off the, the beaten path, but a question for you about um, cannabis stocks and MSOS. Um, this is an area I have really no thoughts on, but it's directed towards you. What do you think? Uh, you can't touch them with a 10 foot pole, unfortunately. Right. I mean, I'm a, I'm a momentum guy, as you know, Warren, and they have shown no signs of picking their head up when they've shown the most modest sign of picking their head up technically and challenging a moving average. It's like whack-a-mole and they're making a new low. I just commented to some guys in my Slack channel, like they're still carrying out generals in the cannabis market down here. You know what I mean? As in like firms like Aurora Cannabis and, and Canopy are legging lower in large magnitude moves to new low prices that they have never seen before. You know, that to me, as bullish as I can get the space and as excited as I can get about the valuation that we're trading, you know, three, three and four times forward earnings. Um, I can't step in there and buy any of this until the market decides it's found a level that it's willing to pay for cannabis. But right now, I mean, you can't give these stocks away if you walk into a reggae concert with the <laughs> certificates in your hand. So I'm going to I'm going to take a pass right now. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, I t that sounds about right. Um, probably last question. Just it's a great uh, one to end it on, I think, for you is uh, to, to Tony. Do you see the market hitting all time highs this year or the early part of next year? And if yes, then what do you think will be the catalyst to drive the market up? Because everywhere is everyone is bearish. So isn't that contrarian? So, I mean, it's just kind of like a nice little bow to wrap this conversation up. You know, what do you think? All time highs in the next 12 months? Uh, no shot. I think, I think no shot. Um, I think that if you study the NASDAQ and study sort of NASDAQ history, you know, you, you, you learn that all of these stocks have the same, the same storyline over a different period of time or, you know, in a different sector, in a different shape. And when I look at the NASDAQ chart now, I, I feel like, you know, we're witnessing something that is actually breaking for really good reasons 
at a massive, massive inflection point in both history and markets. You know, so it, with, with that combination, I just think that this commodity inflation, supply chain issues, and the need for portfolio managers to cling to hard assets in the markets and move away from, as you can see, electronic bits in the sky like cryptocurrency and software and internet stocks and all those sectors that are still the worst performers on the year, you know, those are still in bear market territory right now. The NASDAQ is off 20 something percent year to date. It's dangling at a new low, even though there's been a, you know, a little tiny bounce off the low of the move. Broadly speaking, I think that that is one way traffic for the rest of the year, right? We shot three generals. We shot Facebook, um, Netflix, Amazon. We just had a huge trend line break in Apple. Apple had a 5% down day last week, this week for the first time in two years. I mean, they are showing signs of erosion. And I think with the leadership that's that massive a part of the, of the equity indices getting really technically beat up and removed from its bullish trend, I do not think that we're going to see a new high in the NASDAQ this year because I, you know that, that's my big bearish sector. And I don't think that the S&P can obviously rally if, if big tech is going to go down. So the only shot that we have is for natural resources to be you know, incredibly strong and provide some kind of counterbalance. Otherwise, we're going to have a, uh, a serious, serious selling pressure before the end of the year at some point. So I'm, I'm a little bit bearish. I understand that it's a contrarian call, but until somebody can show me what's going to push inflation down, um, I, can't, I can't really adjust my sales right now because everything looks good. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think that's a good um, guideline for the year. My two cents is, you know, it's when you kind of get a little closer to what's happening right now. One of the reasons why I'm not in a huge hurry to go out and buy the market, even though we saw, you know, 38 something yesterday at the lows, is that, you know, you need enough meat on the bones to, to get that next kind of bear market rally and have it be meaningful to you. Because if we bounce up to 43, 4,400 here, only thing you get is a signal to Jerome Powell that basically you can keep moving aggressively against these markets. So I think the rallies at this point are kind of self-defeating. And so what, what if you get, maybe we get back to 43, 4,400 on a bear market rally, it's like, so what? Do you want to buy it up, the market up there? I mean, why? It doesn't make, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me yet. And we're going to need another something else. I think that something else will be a reversal, of course, from the Federal Reserve, and we are not there yet. I also think you need to get behind the midterm elections, probably, to be honest. So that's a great read, Warren. I like it. Awesome. On the same page. Um, well, I appreciate it. It was good talking to you again. It's been a couple of weeks. Um, and tomorrow or Monday, uh, the Eric Johnston will be here. So thanks again to everybody out there for, for watching the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Warren Pies with Tony Greer. Great job, Warren. Have a good weekend, gang. You too, man. It's a really complicated world out there. We've got massive inflation, recession fears, war in Europe, COVID, China issues. What the hell's happening? Everyone's got an opinion, but who's right, who's wrong? As co-founder of Real Vision, I've got my own view, but maybe I'm wrong too. And I want to go and find out more from real experts, real in-depth analysis. And I've hand-chosen my experts for this two-week journey of discovery in global recession. Is everyone wrong? I've chosen people like Peter Zihan to talk to them about geopolitics. 
David Rosenberg about the economy, and Pierre Andran, the world's most famous energy trader, about how to navigate the oil markets and where it's all going. This starts on May the 2nd, and I'm going to learn so much about what really is going on and how to best navigate it. Yes, not everybody's going to be saying the same thing, but it's going to allow me to piece together an investment framework to navigate these complicated times. Now, normally we'd give you seven day trial for one dollar, but because this is so important for all of you, and I think it's one of the most important pieces of content we've ever done, we're extending that free trial for two weeks for one dollar. So you get the entire campaign of all of these great minds. And it's only one dollar for all of this. So just go to realvision.com forward slash global recession to find out more and join me as I try and figure out what the hell's going on. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.